Hello, everyone, and welcome to this ESIP podcast conversation. My name is Frederick Erickson, and I'm very pleased to be joined today by Maria Repko, a colleague in the world of think tanks. Maria is the executive director at the Center for Economic Strategy, a Kiev-based research organization who has been working to achieve institutional reform and improved economic performance in Ukraine since 2015. Before joining the center, Maria worked in the investment sector for about 10 years, including a position as director of analysis at Empire State Capital Partners. Maria, welcome to the podcast. Uh, Hi, it's nice to be here with you. So I want us to start this conversation talking about the Ukrainian economy during the war. Over here, We have heard a lot of reporting in the media about the war and its development, the casualties, the destruction of cities, schools, roads, bridges, and so on. But we have not heard that much about the economy and what the situation is like. So can we start there, Maria? How badly is the economy affected by the war? How much has the economy dropped and what is the scale of the economic destruction? Yeah, Frederick, the thing is that the statistics uh, on economy is uh, being published with really big lag. And uh, we don't have so much data as we used to have before the war. So uh, from time to time, we just have to make an assumptions. Uh, we saw in March a very big GDP decline. I think the economy lost about 50%. And uh, the hit was uh, really, really hard. In April and May, economy started to rebound a little bit. So businesses started to open if we had uh, about 60% of businesses closing their activities in uh, February and March. Uh, in April and May, already like um, something about 20% of them already started working again. So some companies have relocated their uh, assets and uh, their personnel from the territories where currently it's not safe to proceed with any activities. And uh, they restarted their production in Western Ukraine. However, the forecast is not clear at the moment and it's not good as well uh, because uh, 30 to 45 percent GDP decline in 2022 is uh, foreseen by uh, the main credit rating agencies, by the IMF, by different experts. The uncertainty is however very high because uh, we still uh, are under the Russian aggression. So Uh, No one can actually forecast uh, how much territory will be seized or will not be seized or uh, what damage could the Russian rockets make uh, to the biggest Ukrainian cities, infrastructural spots and so on. Also, the very big uh, problem problem for Ukrainian economy is... um, the blockade of the seaports in the Black Sea. Ukraine was a very export-oriented country. We exported metals, we exported uh, agricultural goods like grain, corn, etc. And uh, now all these uh, volumes, which constituted like 70% of uh, export, uh, they have to go to a very, very narrow bottle, uh, bottleneck in Romania in uh, Danube River ports. While Odessa port, Mykolaiv port, and uh, other Ukrainian ports, they are blocked, of course, Mariupol uh, including. Uh, so uh, Ukraine has a big problem uh, exporting the goods. And uh, this, of course, uh, impacts the economy, impacts the growth, impacts the, uh, impacts the prospects. And uh, the, the exchange rate puts the pressure on the exchange rate. 
So uh, again, uh, talking about the forecast, if we have a situation with the seaports somehow improved, uh, either it will be a military convoys or just a deblocate, uh, Ukrainian economy might rebound. Uh, if the situation keeps like as it is now, uh, Ukrainian economy will lose this uh, 30 to 45 percent of GDP almost certainly. So this is how the situation looks like uh, in terms of economic growth. And if we talk then about the export revenues that you were mentioning with ports that are being closed and difficulties to get products both out of the country and into the country, uh, so how, how dependent is Ukraine normally of export revenues? It is very dependent. Ukrainian economy was very open. And uh, actually, export revenues constituted the lion's share of uh, Ukraine's GDP. So it's important for us. For the moment, Ukraine uh, appeared to be pretty resilient in terms of saving this, uh, saving its economic activities, uh, saving uh, the major infrastructural objects. And uh, Ukrainian cities still have electricity. They still have services. Restaurants are open. People are getting water, people are getting uh, all the necessary communal services and uh, uh, the goods and services as well. So probably the major problem uh, if we talk about the dependency is uh, the fuel, because fuel, uh, I mean the gas and uh, the diesel for the cars, it was imported and it was imported uh, from Belarus via the other countries. Now Russia has uh, destroyed uh, many assets of of, of, uh, the gas stations and uh, the storages for the fuel. So Ukraine experiences a very big shortage uh, in, in, in these terms. For the other products, probably in different, situ- different situation is uh, being seen in different regions. Now the, this uh, diversification, as if I may put it like that, is uh, really high because in Western Ukraine, the country is still able to get goods uh, from uh, the Polish, Slovakia, Hungary and uh, the other countries' territories which Ukraine borders with. And the delivery of the logistics to the uh, eastern territories, to the eastern Ukraine, uh, is uh, complicated not only by the physical risk, but also because of these uh, fuel shortages. So uh, different regions uh, have uh, very different experiences. And uh, it, it actually could be seen um, in, on the prices level. The average uh, consumer prices increase uh, constituted uh, 18% year over year. But in different regions, for different goods, the situation like might uh, be drastically different. It's a horrible situation also on the economic side, of course. So if we look ahead now and we start to perhaps think about a few scenarios for economic revival and what will be necessary for different scenarios to happen. So how would you lay out these different scenarios? I mean, we know, of course, that the war is an uncertainty. We don't know how long the Russians are going to keep on bombing Ukraine. But what's your own expectation for how the economy and the main scenarios for the economy will play out over the next couple of years? Oh, we have several factors here, very important. We can't leave it aside, but just for this conversation, the military aspect, if we leave it aside, uh, we have two major variables here. The first is the amount of the Western help. And I mean uh, here, not only military, but also financial aid, which is coming to the country. And the second is uh, the European Union perspectives. So if talking about the financial aid and what might or might not happen, Ukraine, 
during February, uh, June received only 6.8, I think, billion of dollars in financial aid. The National Bank of Ukraine at the same time was selling the last month in March, it, it sold $3.4 billion in currency interventions. So there is a huge discrepancy because of the export decline, import growth, the demand for the foreign currency. There is a huge, uh, huge market discrepancies, huge distortions. And foreign aid, which is incoming, it's far not enough to cover for that. Also, it's not enough to cover for the budget gap. If Ukraine's economy slides by 30, 40, 50%, the government revenues now cover about 30% of the expenditures that must be done. And here we talk not about the capital expenditures or some excessive spending or something, but we just talk about covering the basic salaries, the needs of the empowered people who are internally displaced, their pensions and the other uh, like very basic social social standards. And of course, the military expenses as well. I mean, the d- defense expenditures. So Ukraine just can't collect enough taxes or enough revenues to cover for that. That's why it started printing money. And the last monetary emission amounted to 70 billion hryvnias in one day. So if we don't get enough financial help from the West, Ukraine might appear in a situation when uh, it struggles economically. And the amounts needed, they might be not so high if we compare it, for example, with the COVID, hundreds of billions spending or, or some other stuff. But for Ukraine, it's very important to get at least $5 billion per month to cover its budget gap and the current account gap to stay afloat and to be able to withstand uh, this really big storm. Let's look a little bit towards the medium term. I mean, as, as you say, I mean, there are huge uncertainties. We don't know about how the war is going to develop. We don't know about when Russia is going to stop bombing Ukraine. Looking at from sort of a Brussels perspective, a few things that's been discussed here over the recent weeks. So you mentioned the one part, which is the immediate financing needs with both balance of payment supports and, and basically government revenue support to help to pay for pensions, to help services going in the country. There's also now talk about something they called uh, the Rebuilding Ukraine platform, about a long-term plan, almost a Marshall Plan style type of project, which is going to help to uh, rebuild the country, the infrastructure, and, and everything that has been devastated during the war. But I can see there are lots of different figures that are being thrown around how big the devastation has been. Some say that it amounts to somewhere between 150 to 200 billion euros right now. Others point to vastly higher sums, and including in that different type of economic losses that have been incurred because of the war. So when, when you look towards sort of the medium term and assuming that there can be some type of rebuilding starting, not now, but, but hopefully, say, during the autumn, what would be sort of the key ingredients that would have to come from Europe and other international partners in order to help Ukraine with this endeavor? Yeah, thank you for this question, because it concerns uh, the second point, which I am going to make uh, about the second factor, which will be uh, one of the major determinants of Ukraine's performance. So if 
we have enough financial aid and we can like muddle through this horrible period, uh, then uh, the reconstruction will uh, very much depend on uh, European perspectives of Ukraine. If Ukraine gets a like really clean and uh, well-defined um, path to the European Union membership, I mean the candidacy, it uh, will boost the private investments into the country, given that uh, the war is uh, over and there is no physical threat to the assets or to the people. We, we would not have to go to the governments of the Western uh, countries and ask for the money. The private investors will uh, leverage on the perspectives of Ukraine becoming a European nation and the part of the European uh, Union. And uh, so they will boost their investments into the country uh, and uh, it would be mostly private ones. If uh, not it would be much more complicated because uh, Ukraine then would depend on the um, institutional investors' uh, help and uh, on the loans, and the loan-to-GDP ratio is to skyrocket this year to like 100% of GDP. It's, it's twice as big as uh, the pre-war level of 50% of GDP, I mean debt-to-GDP ratio. Uh, so it would be very difficult to manage without uh, really big help uh, from the international organizations and uh, the recovery might uh, might be complicated. As for the uh, estimations of the losses, uh, yes, really there are many figures uh, going, like the, the talks going on and so on. The uh, figure that is from uh, $100 billion to $150 billion, uh, this is the estimation of uh, the direct uh, losses of infrastructure, housing, and uh, the assets of the companies, which are evaluated like on a balance sheet basis yeah so if the company had uh, some asset on its balance sheet it was valued uh, as like this or that amount of money uh, this amount of money goes to this uh, total uh, figure to this valuation but of course we understand that rebuilding might cost like more funds uh, than uh, it was like it was stated in the balance sheet of the company because like building back better it's something that we all want uh, want to achieve and uh, building uh, according to the European standards and uh, according to the new uh, green economy principles, like to, to make it energy efficient. So it, it would cost, uh, I think, more than that. And uh, the figure, uh, this figure, when uh, they mention like hundreds of billions or even trillions, I think uh, it uh, concerns uh, also a sort of an alternative cost. You might like think about the lost GDP, for example, or the lost uh, human capital and so on. So these are estimations that are not based on the uh, evaluation of uh, lost assets or the evaluation of uh, how much money would Ukraine need to build this or that. But uh, this is rather uh, evaluation of, okay, how much uh, did Ukraine lost uh, compared to the situation when uh, there is no war and Ukraine is developing good and nicely and so on. So here it should be understood. All right. So I think it could be useful also for our listeners to talk a little bit more about where the needs are. So you, you, you were saying now that there are different price tags, so to speak, uh, depending on whether we're going to rebuild Ukraine sort of according to what it previously looked like or according to perhaps greener standards or building back better standards so when you look at the devastation now and you look at the economy, in what type of sectors or in what type of areas will so the rebuilding funds from abroad be 
more important than others? What are we talking about? Is it sort of pure infrastructure? Is it schools, universities, or is it something else, electricity systems, where the money will be needed? The reconstruction cost will be needed uh, in, uh, I think, every sphere of life in Ukraine. And of course, in uh, the regions that suffered most, this cost uh, would be higher. Uh, but uh, we can't say now for sure of uh, like how much money would be needed to rebuild this or that uh, region because uh, the demography, the uh, actually number of population, the, uh, the structure of this population, like are they women, children or elderly people, it is yet uh, not uh, certain. And uh, here we have a big uncertainty as well. So do you really want to build university, uh, I mean, the new and big university in the place where there is no use? for example, yes, or uh, do you uh, need probably more uh, hospitals in the territory where there are many elderly people living? Because internal migration in Ukraine uh, is even higher than external migration. I mean, if something close to 5 million Ukrainians have fled abroad from the war, I think that 7 to 9 million of Ukrainians uh, were internally uh, displaced people. So people just relocated from the eastern Ukraine to uh, the western Ukraine. And uh, nobody knows exactly where will they settle after the war. So uh, this should be estimated after uh, we know the demography of the region and uh, the actual need in the region for this or that facility. Of course, the infrastructure should be rebuilt in terms of a transport infrastructure for, because uh, every region uh, to develop, it needs uh, the road network, the uh, nice railway connection and so on. So this is very important. And uh, for the other things, I think private capital is also very important because uh, with the government decisions, you can't uh, possibly hope to determine of like what industry could be developed here, uh, what workplaces can be created here. Uh, the best uh, what uh, you can do is to create the uh, business environment uh, for the private investments, and then the market will decide whether this region would uh, produce uh, metals or iron ore or I don't know, some uh, vegetables in the uh, fields or in the gardens. Uh, so the creation of the nice business environment and uh, really good transport infrastructure will be the key to, to this uh, rebuilding, I think. And looking at some of the experiences that have been done historically with uh, Marshall Plan type of programs, uh, not just looking at uh, Europe, after the Second World War, but also looking at a few other countries which has been uh, war-torn more recently. There seems to be a very strong connection here between, on the one hand, fueling the economy with more resources, So, and that can be assisted by foreign countries that can help with um, rebuilding programs, etc. But combining that with institutional reforms and a broader economic policy setting that is going to help to drive much more investment, as you talked about, private investment, but also more new entrepreneurship, new economic activities that didn't exist before the war. I mean, this is something that you worked on quite a lot before the war started, looking at the broader institutional framework in Ukraine, what needed to improve, and how, how when, you, when you sort of, you look at the plan or the thinking now for uh, Ukraine to uh, rebuild itself after the war. 
What type of institutional reforms, business sector reforms, do you think is is going to be crucially important in order to revive the economy and put the economy on a growth path which is better than existed before the war? Yeah, and again, this question turns me turns me to the European uh, integration question because uh, if Ukraine has a clear path to the European uh, Union membership, all the reforms, all the institutional designs, and like everything connected to that, will be actually constructed in a way that it helps Ukraine to do these uh, steps in the European Union uh, membership roadmap. Yes, and uh, this is very important that Ukraine uh, has already already done many steps in uh, EU acquis in uh, making its legislation closer to the European Union one. Uh, it was done uh, during the uh, previous eight years when Ukraine was the associated country for the European Union, having this association agreement executed. It actually uh, turned uh, the local uh, legislation um, closer to the European Union legislation. So if we will have EU perspective, uh, all the reforms would be aimed at making the this proximity closer of uh, Ukrainian environment and uh, European environment. Of course, uh, the first one, which is, uh, I think, the most crucial for Ukraine, it would be the rule of law reform. And not only just passing some laws or regulations, but also execution. I mean, the rule of law should be the religion for this country if, uh, if uh, Ukraine wants to withstand against uh, Russia in future. And uh, creating a good business environment also is impossible without decent rule of law in the country. So in these terms, European Union uh, perspectives uh, would help Ukraine very much because uh, there would be a very clear path the clear roadmap, the clear signs that, okay, this is done and this is not done and here some work should be done uh, as well. It uh, will show both Ukrainian society and Ukrainian politicians uh, what to do, when to do and how to do it. And the Ukrainian society, of course, will be putting pressure on politicians uh, towards achieving these goals. As uh, we see now, it is uh, doing it even even in times of war when uh, it really takes, like I would say, courage and consideration to criticize your government if your government is at war. Uh, still, Ukrainian society is trying to put pressure on uh, the government in, in, in some issue, issues connected uh, with the rule of law. So Ukraine like, will be definitely a better country if we have this clear and uh, step-by-step plan, which would be supported by the European Union, which would be the carrot hanging like before the Europe- uh, Ukrainian politicians, and which will, uh, of course, force Ukrainian society to put pressure on them to get things done, to achieve what we all really want to achieve as, as a people, as a, as a society. I think many of us are hoping that good news from Brussels is going to come very soon with an acknowledgement of uh, the membership application and an acceptance of it, which is going to lead to the start of much more detailed and technical work about uh, the process going forward. I think some of us um, watching this development from the outside have been a bit saddened by comments that have come from some capitals, which suggest that this may become a very long and drawn out process. But perhaps there is that the, the, the opportunity that Ukraine can itself help to shape the accession process by pursuing a lot of good uh, reforms itself. 
um, and showing its determination to reform its country and to make it far easier to to integrate with Europe. Some of the stuff that's been dis- that was discussed before the war, I mean, this goes back to the accession discussion as well, was around corruption. It was about weak state institutions. How much of a problem do you think this is? I mean, had Ukraine already started to make positive changes to to these areas, which before the war was going in in a good direction? Or will something really radical be required after the war now in order to uh, to generate sort of the domestic reform momentum in Ukraine, which is going to lead to better institutions that hopefully is going to help convince Europeans as well that Ukraine can actually accede to the EU, uh, not before long. I, I think yes to both of your questions, and uh, it is interesting. Uh, Ukraine has done a lot of homework in terms of fighting corruption. It has created the anti-corruption uh, institutions, uh, like starting from the NABU, the Anti-Corruption Bureau, and the Anti-Corruption Prosecution Office, and the Anti-Corruption Court as well. It was all done within the like cooperation with the European Union and under the supervision and the advisory of uh, the Western uh, the Western partners. It is, however, a work in progress, and uh, I think much uh, would be uh, should be done in the future as well in this in this area. However, if uh, talking in like in terms of the EU candidacy perspective, like look at Turkey, yes, it has been the candidate since uh, 1999, I think. And uh, this uh, path, it uh, could not be really short, rapid, and um, okay, like um, in a blink of an eye, Ukraine becomes the European Union member. No, I don't, I don't think this is the case. Uh, but what I think, this candidacy uh, bears a lot of geopolitical weight, a lot of just anchoring the expectations and the will of Ukrainian people and the politicians to be compliant with all these anti-corruption standards and everything else. So it might take time, it might take years. We're like fully open to that and we understand that uh, this is okay because uh, there is a very long road ahead and uh, this is fine, this is normal. But just to see that, okay, we are moving in that direction, it would uh, be already very helpful. So, of course, much should be done. A lot of, of things were uh, already com- completed. Uh, and this road ahead, I, I hope I hope it would be helpful to achieve more and more. All right, Maria, it's been a great pleasure talking to you. Thanks so much for joining the podcast. Thank you, Frederick.